0: Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world.
1: From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food
0: empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. And in this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. We've been asking on our Instagram, Food Grower Academy, and on Jackson Minds as well for your questions and we're going to answer those for you today. So we've got a good list of questions come across all the different Instagrams and we're going to kick it off with a question that everyone's been asking or lots of people have been asking. So we've had uh, Moz79, Cotswold Lioness, Soph Hunt 85 and uh, I apologize if I pronounced this wrong, uh, Bilik Suslin um, asking basically what can they start growing now that will keep them going through autumn and winter so jack shall we um we're both probably doing this now on our farms so that's a good place to start right
1: yeah perfect timing um this is a timely podcast for it because it's still uh timing to get some seeds in uh, which is kind of at that point now where if we don't get any heat in September, they're really going to flag. And I've noticed that the last two years on the farm, I'm trying to get stuff in that, just that little bit later where I've run out of time. But you got, it's kind of like mid to late August. We want to get it in, get it in the ground as quick as possible. Um, but do not be ashamed to buy plug plants in. Um, There's plug plants still around in garden centres at a minute and online places. So get them in, get them in the ground, let them establish for the next month or six weeks and you, you're onto a winner for some winter veg.
0: And what is it that you're seeding now or what plug plants have you been buying in for your farm?
1: Uh, plug plants would be some winter kale, um, some purple and broccoli. Um, you can do cauliflowers, cabbages now. Um, not that I have, but these, these are perfect time like uh, radicchio, um, oriental greens um i've sowing wise i've just sowed spinach um mustards patchoy, bok choy um yeah there's a lot of leafy greens isn't there chris like um and I, I like that because in winter the sugars change in the plant you get a bit of a sweeter taste and winter lettuces spring onions um but a winter variety of spring onion and um, what else have i sowed Trying uh, to turnips, winter radish, those sort of things. Um, but yeah, there, there is actually quite a lot, and I like that it does change completely from a summer crop. Um, there is a lot of greens in there, but um, yeah, stuff to look forward to.
0: That's good. I've been writing these down to make sure I'm ticking them off my list as well. <laughs> Pretty much all the same, definitely. Man, turnips in. I mean, I've just, I mean, it was Friday last week, but I don't think. You're too late to get some normal radish in the ground as no. well you presume if, if it does stay warm it's warmish today if we do get a bit of a warm next 30 days then you'll get normal radish out um, yeah. and we're, we're doubling down on the stuff we know pretty much grows well at this time of year Kales, rainbow chard. I mean, I'm sowing rainbow chard right up to the middle of September. Because realistically, you can grow that 11 months of the year if you're careful and you don't have a mega cold, mega cold winter. Um, Winter lettuces. We filled tunnels with, um, yeah, Asian greens like Mizuna, um, Pak Choi, Joy Choi, those sorts of things last year. So it's mad, isn't it? When you think it doesn't have, like, if you think of UK winter vegetables you're like sitting there going oh i'm going to be in cauliflower and sprouts and squash and swede but actually there's loads of stuff you can grow now that will keep you in s- not same stuff but similar stuff to what you've been eating all year yeah
1: there's are uh, there's some more root veg as well maybe uh, uh bulb fennel beetroot maybe bought in now um i reckon you get away with maybe bulb fennel and then just have it a little a little earlier um that's so how chefs like it, don't they? Where you roast the whole thing, but uh, as like a smaller plant, uh, so I can make, that's mega tasty. This first year I've grown that, and it and it looks great in the garden. I love looking down the lines of it, and the it's almost like a fuzz over the mm. top of it, like yeah. a cloud over over it. And um, and then that's great in salads. You can pinch pinch that. Um, so salads are actually boss in autumn and winter. Let alone summer. There's a lot more variety coming in.
0: Um, I was really shocked to hear that when I first got into growing outside of just my garden when I moved on to the allotment and people putting in winter lettuce I was like how's that going to survive a frost Mm. because you think it's quite delicate but it's not it's pretty happy with a with well shove a bit of fleece over it if it's normal variety and you can get away with that for quite a long time or just some of the winter varieties arctic king yeah um it's the only one coming to coming to my mind, uh, but they'll be on all the seed websites now.
1: Greno- uh, Grenoble red. Um, I'm I'm saying that, and I might have to buy seed packets before the podcast goes out because <laughs> that stuff is like it's so rare now. Um, Charles Dowding spoke about it a couple of years ago and, and made it quite popular. And it's just this beautiful red, ready green lettuce, and it does really well in the winter um, and. I done his course 2019 at Homemakers, and it was one of those lettuces that stood out in the polytunnel and I think his polytunnel is 30 foot by 18 foot and he was making £2,000 out of there just on salad in, in the winter months so um, he had so many varieties picked quite frequently um, to a degree it's a slower grower isn't it but
0: yeah, £2,000 not shabby. No, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's a good point, actually, because um, some lettuces or or leafy greens, such as you mentioned, radicchio there, that turns more red with the cold, doesn't it? Because if I, grown, I grew it in the middle of summer this year, which was a bit of a mistake, and it was just green, 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 green. But as it gets a cold snap, that's when it starts to turn red and turn into this lovely lettuce green that chefs want.
1: Yep. Uh, The bitterness can be counteractive when you cook it like by caramelizing it. Um, Some people like the bitterness and if any veg or fruit is bitter, it tends to be super healthy for you anyway. Um, But talking of it changing color, midnight sun kale changes like from this bluey color now with like streaks of purple and it goes bright pink. The minute the cold hits, it is stunning absolutely stunning it goes bright pink so it then becomes i know we talk a lot about to allotment growers but for chefs as well they're just blown away by the color as you will be if you grow it um, so it's one to earmark for next year when you're doing your seeds um, candy floss midnight sun it's just a beautiful kale um, and also emerald ice goes really white um, that's a a kale as well which i recommend It's like green with like a white streak through the middle of it, but then most of the kale goes white. And it's like, it's one of those, like, whoa, if you see that in a salad bat, a kale mix, you're just going to be kind of blown away by it.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point as well, actually. Like a mix. I just seeded um, loads of close together for baby kale because Mm. I think in the next, I mean, I'm, I'm gambling again on there being a sort of warmish September because come on we deserve it after the cold summer we've had but if that does happen then we'll be able to get baby kale cuts out of something that's direct seeded a week or so ago or maybe even get away with it when this podcast comes out so (laughs) there's loads there um and yeah i think there's plenty there is a there's a follow-on question from cotswold lioness that says do you have any ideas and or tips for overwintering tomatoes peppers or aubergines and my experience other than a heated greenhouse it's tough right
1: (laughs) yeah uh, I'm not sure about that one I mean um, last year we had a really hot year in general and the tomatoes just kept picking and picking until it gets to like no like the manky weather we've had this summer you start to get that late blight or the tomatoes start to rot um, and they just look they look naff but uh, peppers and chilies you can actually overwinter so you just take all the foliage off so it's almost like a stick in a pot and then it will re uh, regrow, won't it? Um, I've seen people regrow. I've never done it, but they regrow in spring. They regrow, but not not that I. W- I don't know if I would do that. I'm not really sure how the second crop's going to be. Whether it's going to be as abundant, I'm really not sure. But yeah, you can you can do it with chilies and peppers. There's definitely videos online for that. Uh, but yeah, just milk it all the way. And a tip I would have for the tomatoes is to top. The tomatoes now um, mid August so you're sending the energy into any fruit that's there that if it, September does become cold that any sun we're going to get now which is dwindling uh, those tomatoes are going to go red
0: definitely and maybe I don't know if the, if the question maybe is about preserving a little bit as well I mean you could Definitely. be getting I mean we've got a question about blight and I'm going to leave it to the end so we're not crying throughout this podcast <laughs> but, um if you if you do get get your sort of tomato plants wiped out before there's a chance for them to to all ripen then green tomato chutney is amazing um creating tomato and bat because basil's kind of abundant at the moment tomato and basil sauces and freezing it and having that preserved um there's loads of preserving you can do with peppers drying them out i'm not don't know too much about aubergines in terms of preserving those Um, they seem like a luxury to me Um, but yeah definitely if you're in abundance now and you still want that stuff in in winter then there's there's plenty you can do i've seen some brilliant videos on drying out tomatoes sun-dried tomatoes as well
1: yeah a dehydrator never goes amiss um but i'd make chutneys and sauces and pickles um I think, I think as time goes on, it's almost like going back to old school ways of doing that, preserving. I, I hope so. I would love myself to do it more. And I've got two books that I really need to knuckle down and read and, and look at recipes for anything I've got now that's dwindling to harness it. Courgettes would be one that I'd love to make chutneys from. Um, so, yeah, it's just it is just thinking now. You've always got to think with growing as i as i know you do Is you got to think a couple of months ahead it's a game isn't it you can't just get to a point where you're like oh i'm loving the abundance now and you just forget to seed now there's like second and third springs throughout the summer that you've just got to keep seeding and then you get to a point like i've got nothing now everything's dwindling and and then the garden looks empty so yeah you just got to think like when you're in summer, you've got to think of autumn, and as hard as it is, you've just got to try and think ahead.
0: Yeah, I was shocked about that in my first year as well. I went to mentors through a um, Land Workers Alliance um, mentorship scheme in my first year here. And the first thing they came in, it was this sort of time of year, came in and were like, Right, what are you seed in for winter? I was like, "Hey." Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I only started like when my first year, I only started my boxes in July. So I was like, oh, I've been only doing four weeks. You want me to start thinking about winter? <laughs> but you're right, you have to just keep, yeah. And I keep joking, it's a bit like the um, finding Nemo thing. Just keep just keep seeding, isn't it? Just keeps seeding.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's a t shirt right there,
0: isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question is from Homegrown Veg. How do you find off grid living? Well, you're not, are you? So <laughs>
1: No, that's a great question for you, Chris, think you've got a wealth of knowledge towards that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, we're partially off-grid, so we are off-grid for our power. All of our power is run through solar. We have a brilliant solar system um, that we share across three farms on the ecological land cooperative site here. Um, and it's brilliant. It's amazing to know that we are limiting if any use of, of fossil fuels i mean obviously we're still using a bit of petrol and diesel here and there but we could almost count that on our hands so that's fantastic to know we're not off grid for water um because three separate companies drilled to see if there was water underneath our farm and there wasn't so there would have been a well to draw water up and um, so we are on the grid for water which is fantastic so um it would have been good to have it out of a well but you do have issues there, because obviously to draw it out of the well you then have to use power, so you're using your solar resource to draw water up, and so it's, it's a complex scenario to be in. Um, so I am sort of semi-grateful for the water, um, I did spend 14 months without it, um, mm. relying on rainwater and it wasn't easy, so um, I think it could be easier living off-grid without trying to run a farm off-grid alongside it. But um, so yeah, we have, we have mains water, but I, I, I really enjoy it. It really sets new challenges. It sets different challenges for bringing seeds on, for example. Like we have to think about hotbeds made with compost or manure rather than just being able to have necessarily just like heat beds or lamps all over the place. Um, it certainly brings new challenges in terms of um, living in the place you work. I mean, that's something that not a lot of people are used to. And that's certainly something we were given advice not to put our home face in our market garden. And I ignored that advice. <laughs> and now I sit there with a beer or a coffee um, and I stare at a bed going, oh, I wish I'd weeded that before I sat down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. And certainly for pest control and things like that, being here all the time is, is a massive help.
1: I, th- I think you should... Um Definitely, uh, elaborate a little bit more on that on, I think that's a real niche of yours, Chris, um, being off grid and I love your pump system to irrigate the farm, mm. things like that. Uh, I, I think, uh, anyone listening, if you are looking down the off grid route, you got to look at Chris's farm and the way they're doing it is, is great. Um, and, and you're right. It's the balance between home life and farm life and, and balancing the off grid for both, um, so I think you're a good advocate for that, man, especially going you, in the man. future. And I'm sure I'll be knocking on your door with questions when I get to that point, fingers crossed.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, I mean, it. it living here really makes you look at the entire system. Living off grid especially makes you look at the entire system because it makes you very conscious of everything you're using. It makes you very conscious of, Um, everything you bring onto the farm so then you try and limit that I mean that's why we've brought in pigs we've brought in chickens it just yeah it makes you really conscious but I think the other thing that I really enjoy about it as well is it makes you conscious of having your workspace quite um, not neat and tidy but just a nice place to be And and I know we've spoken about this in the past that's the difference I think between conventional agriculture and the sort of market gardening that we do is that I mean I spent a lot of today um sort of creating a space that's nice to sit alongside the chickens we've got a picnic bench in <laughs> it's just you're creating a space that's nice to sit on the farm and mm. i think that living on your site be it off grid or just living on your farm makes a big difference for that as well it's, it's nice it's an, yeah you try to make it a nice place to be
1: that's it amazing um moving on to the next question um this is like kind of uh, two questions by two they're very similar by homegrown veg and gas grown farm. And it's around like how do you price produce? Um, do you work to a percentage or just what feels fair? Um, and just like how you decide it pretty much how you decide the prices. And uh, just to kick that off, but for, for me personally, I found that one of the most challenging things um, was to kind of go from another industry construction into this so where's the baseline of of veg prices because they fluctuate so much and we've been very annoyed and we spoke about on a podcast with alex like how annoyed when you see like carrots going for 60p a, a kilo um at christmas and you're like well someone's losing there and that's really messed up the price for that product where um but but for for me personally, uh, you just got to look at what the standard is you're growing. Um, how also if you're working on a small smaller scale um, and you're putting a lot of love into it, then it, it should fetch a higher price. And don't be afraid that you should be wanting that higher price because people should value what you're doing your work at, at a higher price so you just got to look at the people who are doing it on a bigger scale which is like Riverford and Abel and Cole those box schemes those organic prices are kind of like should be there thereabouts I think if you can match that quality it's, it's there
0: yeah 100% what do you think? yeah 100% I mean massively don't underestimate what you're doing and, and the quality of that don't um, I mean I would certainly say don't even look at supermarket prices because as soon as you go down that route you start to feel guilty that you might be making it too expensive and stuff you don't want to be looking there I mean my my sort of point I mean I'm a box scheme so it was a bit different for me coming up with a box price was very much market research of the local area working out what kind of profit i'd like to look at and then comparing the two and finding a middle ground but in terms of if i'm selling to a chef or uh, to another box scheme or a market my first point of call is to log on to the soil association horticultural price list and that if you google that that what i've just said there soil association horticultural price list that will bring you up it's free to look at a price list of it's the average prices that are being sold on organic produce um, across the UK. I find it a bit low sometimes. I'm definitely going the higher end of that bracket. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I value, I think we should value what we do a bit more. Um, and and something just to be said on that, I mean, it's a, it could be a whole podcast. This conversation could be a whole podcast in itself, but... Mm. Just think about the fact that food is one of the only things in this country, in the United Kingdom, that has not really risen in price over the last 50 years. It's maintained pretty much a very similar price, it's risen a little bit, but when you compare it to the increase of price in technology, phones and tellies, I mean it's it's kind of bonkers and good quality food is being driven down by supermarkets and they're the ones being putting articles out there that food prices are rising and no one's going to be able to eat it's more that we're paying far too much for other things like flat screen tvs Um, i mean i'm 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 completely guilty of it i'm looking at you from an iphone (laughs) um so it's yeah good quality food should be put ahead of everything else and it's funny that good quality food could solve a lot of our problems with paying out for healthcare and all those things so um yeah Value your veg at a decent quality think about all this, the blood sweat and tears that have gone into it because don't let anyone tell you that it should be cheaper um, just because they've I mean I've had people price up everything in my veg box via the Sainsbury's website and be like oh no you're way too expensive it's like don't let people um, try and tell you that for sure
1: yeah it is really unfortunate that, that that's the case but when f- you grow food and you see how you grow food and then we're like capturing carbon, where th- there's just all that health in the soil and it's, it's really, I really wanna get a Brax, is it a Brax meter where you can measure the sugars of stuff and I'd love to compare my stuff to supermarket stuff and, and also as well, what we're doing Chris is we're harvesting and it's going out that day. So the timing of that food, the nutritional density of that food is a lot higher, even though you can't see it and you can't physically feel it yet. Down the line, it's that that health is everything. Like, let thy food be thy medicine is a great, great quote that I've always kind of, like, since I've been into this, just kind of, that that stays in my mind. Like, let that food be medicine. And we know the taste difference as well. Um, And I feel like we're just as more of you guys become growers and you can give that food to more people it's the ripple effect to that uh, as well and then you start going no you know what i'm not going to eat a tomato this winter because i know how good tomatoes taste when i home grow them so yeah let, let's let's um, make sure that we have that effect on you guys and and you grow and you have that effect on others
0: definitely mate definitely So next one is, my burning question is, this comes from 13B Allotment, I love this, where do you buy your seeds?
1: Um, I use a few trusty websites, Um, Real Seeds has always been one for me, where I just love the varieties on there, I love that they encourage you to save seed, um, and they ticked every box for like most ethical uh, seed company Mm -hmm. as well, um, out of like anyone there is. They're small, small, like the website um, is kind of something, it's just like not that modern and I love that (laughs) it's like family run and you get small packets but of like seeds that they could be like, I think there's a variety of carrot on there that is like three kilos left in the world, but they've got them on their website. Um, And you're carrying that seed, Biodiversity, where ninety six percent, ninety four percent of all seeds in the world have been uh, extinct. So we've got that six percent left. That can you imagine all that cuisine that we've lost is just unbelievable, and all that diversity we've lost. And this six percent, we've got to like seed save. We've got to encourage to seed save. Um, so yeah, real seeds is a great one. Um, me and Chris, I'm pretty. We use Premier Seeds Direct as yeah, well. For sure. Uh, Tamar Mm -hmm. do you use Tamar organics Um, I use a German one which was recommended by Charles Dowding called Bingenheim Seeds they're good as well and if you want to just completely lose loads of money go to Baker Creek Seeds in America because (laughs) they have the most ridiculous varieties of things I've ever seen like I could have dropped hundreds of pounds um, just looking at 30 types of corn There's <laughs> like every color under the rainbow of like tomato and corn and it's just almost you don't believe they're real mm. um but uh yeah it's just those are the kind of seeds companies i use and i kind of don't really differ too much from that unless i'm like really uh someone's really gone oh you know this seeds company is great or this recommendation there yeah how about you mate? pretty
0: much all the same list there um, i haven't used bingenheim before but i'm definitely logging on there in terms of ethical seed companies there's a seed cooperative as well which is fantastic um some good varieties on there and a big shout out to premier seeds direct i think because i didn't offer them before this year um but at the well at the tail of end of last year actually i discovered them ran some germination tests was just blown away and I've used them for a set, especially for like my staples across the farm. I've used them throughout this whole season and been super, super happy with them. Um, again, though, it's one of those websites that's like, oh, it's a pound a packet. And then you're like, yeah, i have some of that, then some of that, then some of that. And before you know it, you've got 100 <laughs> seed packets and 100 quid. But um, yeah, 100%, all of those sound fantastic. I mean, I'm going to shoot myself for saying this because... I often get asked it on Instagram, but it's going to make all the seeds sell out. I know it is, but I get asked where we get our Salanova seed from all the time. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure I get it from just seed. Um, and yeah, yeah Salanova that. is a branded seed. It's it's patented it? um, by, I want to say, a Dutch company. Um, so you can only buy it from certain retailers, um, so yeah here I buy it from just Seed.
1: I, but I might just shout out Vital mm. Seeds, I've never used them but I've heard they're yeah. brilliant. So there's another like local seed company in the UK that are doing good things and I just want to shout them out because I always hear good things. So big up yourselves guys.
0: So the next one comes from Jack Walt. What's the easiest fruit or veg to grow and what's the hardest? So from your experience, mate.
1: Hmm. Uh, Good question. I don't know about fruit. Um, There's probably one just there that I'm just not thinking of. Um, Veg to grow, I mean like radish. People have like hit or miss Mm -hmm. with radish and beetroot. I've always had quite good luck. But I always feel like radish is better to direct sow, and beetroot's better to transplant in uh, to multi-sow. And Charles Dowding has an amazing video on multi-sowing certain seeds, and I've stuck by that from having an allotment yeah, to a same. farm, and I've never di- never differed from it, and I've always had good results. Um, so I have good good um, luck with that. Um, I think the hardest is actually celery yeah um big time because um not a lot of people know i had a good well i had a great year with it last year but this year i had a bit of a stinker and i've re-sowed it so many times and it never really done amazingly well um, but it's a seed that actually likes light to germinate so you sow it on the top after you've like uh, filled the seed cells and then i sprinkle vermiculite on top um and maybe last year i just stuck it in a really sunny place in the greenhouse and it done well and there was no slugs to attack it and and i think that's why it done well and then this year i kind of made it too wet by leaving it in uh, uh troughs of water um but i think it just didn't like it it's a very slow burner to get going it takes ages to germinate Stays small for like months it seems but yeah, I just think it's such a, a finicky one. So if you're really good at growing celery, um, well done, because I think it's a tough. <laughs> I think it's a toughy.
0: Yeah, I've had that experience, and I saw a post from uh, our last guest, Mitch, uh, Mitch underscore underscore grows um, on Instagram. He's germinated. and grown it this year Um, mine's done really well but I didn't germinate it I gave up after like the fourth attempt and bought some uh, plugs in from Delfland I'm not ashamed of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but similarly celeriac's up there for me as well I was trying to grow celeriac this year I love sort of interplanting it in between other winter veg and it's the same it needs the same conditions it needs light it needs to be generally wet for almost its entire germination process and I just couldn't do it and I did see a post on Instagram actually said Uh, it made me feel so much better it said the world won't end if I can't grow celeriac and it just made me laugh I was like right that's that made me feel much better so celeriac would definitely be my hardest um easiest has got to be lettuce I think for me it's so quick to germinate it's one of those things that I like to get people to grow first because it's something that you can pick and leave on the windowsill and come again to. It's not particularly hard to germinate, it's not fussy um, as long as the conditions aren't too hot in the greenhouse if you're trying to germinate in there in the middle of summer. But that's definitely one for me because it's, it's quick, it's on the plate easy and it gets you addicted to growing.
1: Yeah, well done. That's great. Yeah, I think that answers it really. I'd say um, I, have a, I do have trouble with aubergine each
0: year Mm. um it's a fussy bugger isn't it (laughs) yeah
1: i just think they just got long long season so at any point if you neglect it or you don't put it in the ground quick enough there's just a few things that um yeah there's just a few ones that everyone has that one veg that they can't grow and i speak to different people and there's always (laughs) one there's always one that um that everyone's like oh i can't grow that this year or and it yeah it's kind of funny Everyone's got
0: that one. Yeah, aubergine's up there for me as well, especially this year where it's just been so wet constantly. Mm. It's in the outer edge bed of a polytunnel for me, and I'm just getting enough to put in a couple of large veg boxes. And I've not had a full crop for all my veg boxes from it this year, and last year I did because it was a nice dry summer. So, yeah, it's just one of them, is it?
1: And the next question uh, from Lull dean Timber. I think that's how you say it. Oh, <laughs> like that guy. Does the best um, food troughs. Um, I've oh, got one on. from him. So big shout out to you, bro. And I've, I've, I have apologize if I've butchered that. Um, how to move a cherry and pear trees but doing minimal damage to the roots. How to move cherry and pear trees without doing minimal damage. Um, from my experience, it depends how big it is, but you should always move anything in October mm. when it's dormant. I wouldn't move it any other time of the year because you're just more likely to kill it. But just want I always get told just move any fruit, um, fruit bushes and fruit trees in October. How about you? Do you know a bit more on that? Yeah,
0: definitely in October, um, especially then because like November's tree planting season because you're going to get plenty of water to those roots whilst it's wet. Um, you definitely don't want to be doing it in the summer when it's dry. And I would say the other thing—I mean, this does, advice doesn't really come from a knowledgeable place. Just something I've always done is to take as much of the root system as you possibly can. Like dig as dig—if you've got the over the back and a decent spade or a digger or something to do it, dig as much as you can out from under it. There's going to be no benefit to cutting out some of those roots. You want to take as much of the ball as possible, especially if you're just moving it within your own plot. Um, and you don't have to ball it up like nurseries do and send it out just dig as much as you can out of there and take it with it Um, yeah you're going to shock it if you're cutting off roots if you do have to and you do when you're digging it up then it happens, and if you're doing it in October and it's dormant, then you, it's going to most likely survive. Um, but I know, as particularly pear trees, I've not got much experience with cherry trees. Um, I should do because they're like Sussex's st- <laughs> fruit tree. But um, pear trees, they're pretty resilient. They're certainly more resilient than apple trees. I've found so they're pretty good.
1: Ted's patch. Next question. Any tips on growing sweet bell peppers? Struggle every year me too Ted
0: <laughs> so I'll leave this one <laughs> to you Jack
1: yeah we, we did actually speak about this question briefly before the podcast um, and I always done better when um, with bell and bell peppers and sweet peppers on my allotment when I could concentrate on them a little bit more um, I had them indoors I think they do I think uh, peppers and chilies do well in pots although my chilies outside this year are normally doing amazingly well. Um, but i think when you can keep them indoors concentrate them in good quality soil in a pot um, add some amendments like uh, some epsom salts to help them flower so they fruit more Um, i don't really i snapped the uh I, i took a cut of the bell peppers last year to make them bushier but i didn't really see too much benefit Um, I think it just let it grow normally and then we we normally snap the first fruit off uh, so it concentrates on uh, doing more uh, growing more foliage than fruit at first because you want to try and get it a bit more bigger a bit more established Um, and then yeah um, I'd say Epsom salts water the soil not the leaves that's quite a common one but yeah, just be hot on if you see any bugs eat the fruit. I guess, and um, that's what I've had this year. You see a little hole on the bell pepper, and then that's kind of it. It's kind of done. It rots from the inside out, and I've had I've had a struggle with that this year.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're the only one. I mean, I struggled with it last year, um, and it made me decide not to grow them. But that's mainly because I'm trying to grow things commercially, and that space inside a polytunnel for me is its prime location, location, location. So I couldn't, yeah, waste not waste it. But you know what I mean. Um, I mean, from a commercial point of view, I think it only really makes sense to pick them as green peppers because it seems to be when they are converting over they're waiting for that sun and ripen through to the other colors that they do get that rot happen but the the other side of that is that not many people want green peppers so <laughs> it's a tough one Ted um, I mean as Jack said making it yeah focusing closely on them if you've got a smaller patch growing them in pots and being being there to observe them and pick as as pests might move in, and something that you mentioned, Jack, when we were talking about it off air, this question was um, picking off the first fruit.
1: Yeah, as we were saying, like just you just want to focus on that foliage and and not the fruit, which is the complete opposite. Once it starts going, you want to mm. focus on fruit, not foliage. Same with tomatoes, etc. Um, but yeah, uh, it kind of always happens at the fork of the 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 plant so it wants to fork and, and start growing outwards and upwards um and then you just take that energy away from it so nice and early snap it off it, as we said before the podcast it's never going to be that great that fruit it's always going to be a little bit uh it kind of can fall off or unmature or go a bit wonky donkey but you just want to snap <laughs> it off and and then just let it, it um flourish a little bit more
0: yeah, and that, that's a fair bit of advice for a few things, isn't it? We do the same with courgettes here. The first cucumber normally goes just because they, do, they don't they do fully develop and they're just slowing down the rest of the growth of the plant. So putting that nutrients back into its foliage growth before that point, as you say, flips over to put it into the fruit. Uh, next question. I apologize. I am definitely going to butcher this Instagram handle. Um Casa Rio um, I'll put that
1: done well there
0: (laughs) so apologies if I got your name totally wrong there but what's your first memory of loving plants and gardening
1: um that's a great question um I think from a young age I was always I had a mate who called me nature boy (laughs) um maybe because uh, I loved the outdoors I quite I loved animals and like kind of Ace Ventura as a kid um but I kind of didn't really think about this until i got into growing but like we got given like a runner bean competition or a sunflower competition or a dizzy um is it dizzy lizzy? dizzy lizzie busy the lizzie plant? yeah busy lizzie yeah um i'd always win like i'd always win that competition i'd really focus on looking after that plant but no one in the family with growers or like even my nana granada didn't grow veg in the garden or anything but it was for me to travel to australia and then work on a farm for the first time it was the click of seeing how the whole farm worked as an ecosystem like everything was run off natural principles and being into the environment and seeing how the world was going it was that one click of like oh this is the answer just we need to figure out how to leverage nature's perfect systems and then i really started to fall in love with that journey and it took me down the rabbit world the path i'm on now and it and it completely shifted my attention in life um and then yeah, just really fell in love with the outdoors, growing food, um, and yeah, t- to answer your question, that that was it for me working on a farm in Australia. I'd say. How about you, Chris?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's funny because I didn't really have it have that bug growing up. I mean, I'm it's funny my parents grew veg they would always had veg patches and they try and involve me and honestly i can remember once saying i mean i loved being outdoors and i loved playing football so i think at one point i remember saying to them oh when i'm a grown-up i'm not going to have a garden i'm just going to have like it'll be fully turfed with a goal at each end <laughs> mm. so i could just play football all my life and that's what i considered i would be doing when i was like 10 years old um But my my great aunt did have a farm, but it was um, a dairy farm. So again, the growing was sort of secondary there. I'd say in the last 10 years, it was, I I sort of remember a pivotal moment of just having our first uh, garden veg patch and picking the first tomato off of it. It was a grow bag tomato plant, but just tasting the difference just blew my mind. And something just sort of connected in my head to say, well it's not just gonna be the taste is it like that there's got to be something more healthy about this that taste is not it's not made from sugar it's not like having a haribo sweet um it's it's natural it's come out of the ground all the goodness has come from the soil and the compost so it's got to be more healthy and it just sort of an addiction to growing more and more veg trying more and more things and then one thing led to another and here I am living and breathing it every day and and it's become well not an unhealthy obsession because it's vegetables but it's almost there
1: yeah it's it's mad like my how I think about how my life was before I got into this to now it's like at the start I was really talking to myself in my head like why are you shoveling manure on a Friday night we should be down the pub with your mates (laughs) like it was that that kind of drive of like there's something about this that I, I'm ditching that for this. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that, it, once it gets you, it, it really gets you and it's been very addictive. It's, um, I think because you know you're doing something good, you know, they, they, I think there's just so many aspects to it that make it a beautiful thing. And um, you start to realise how many other cultures apart from ours that are like it's ingrained in the culture from day one. Um, and I've got a real love of food now and just to kind of uh go on a f- on a tangent I went to pick some figs at um my f- my friend's father-in-law's garden Italian guy brought these fig trees back from Bologna ten years ago and these trees are so established for ten years old but there's thousands of figs on them i went around and for me it was like Christmas day just i couldn't believe it and these figs are like baseballs they're huge you eat them like apples and by far it's probably one of the biggest uh, I've never tasted anything that it's almost like you've never tasted anything that good there's not a sweet that could taste that good it's just oh it's so refreshing it's got everything about it and um, I think again in grain why that's why I love it and I could I could talk to him all day and he loves the passion I've got for growing food and yes yeah, just brilliant and it there's a a talking point isn't it passion meets passion over food
0: yeah i love that i mean i went on a tour in the canary islands um of a sort of nature tour outdoor tour and ended up at a um a vineyard and they had trees fig trees there and i've never tasted anything like it a fig straight off a tree like of that Mm. age it just blows your mind very different to what you think of figs when you get them at the supermarket for sure
1: oh louis oh don't let me butcher your second name (laughs) digance uh louis my sourdough guy oh nice yeah um sourdough on sea shout out to him um any uses for greenhouse
0: over winter yes (laughs) yep move on (laughs) it's that (laughs) it's that simple yeah there's loads of uses man um it's a nice place to to spend time for sure for sure um I mean it depends on on your setting, we're using our greenhouses and polytunnels to grow throughout the entire of winter, Um, if it's just like in your garden then definitely be protecting some of those plants that you want like the perennials that will come back but um, that need protection from the frost, like I drag a massive pot with an Acer tree back into my polytunnel every every winter because it needs protection from that frost for sure. And then certain things like we do some overwintered, like this year we did overwintered sweet peas. So we put them like germinate the seeds in September, overwintered them through um, in a polytunnel or a greenhouse through to March and then plant them out. And we have really nice strong sweet peas from that. So that's definitely the uses I I would be thinking of depending on your situation. What about you, man?
1: Um, I've got like a good tip here and I, I, re-remembered it the other day and i'm i'm a bit annoyed oh well i'm actually going to do it this year as well and you know we talk about uh, like obviously some spinach now and stuff in the ground but um in charles Dowding's greenhouse he like mushroom crates are free newspapers free all you got to do is buy soil and seeds but he had loads of mushroom crates lined with newspaper fill it with compost and then you could just for example you could add six lettuce plants in there you could add eight spinach plants in there and you will not believe the abundance you can get out of one tray um i believe when i had done well i'd done this in my first year getting um i was getting like 300 grams of lettuce or freeze uh, no 600 grams of lettuce a week or 300 grams of lettuce a week but what, what i mean is is like six plants yeah i think i've got that right Six part, but it's like salad throughout the winter, and you're just leaving it in the greenhouse, and it's above ground, so you're less likely to get pests attack it. But it's just a little tip. You could do that with mustard. You could do it with pak choi, rocket, Um, and then you start them now, put them in your greenhouse, and you're going to get them earlier. And some of them will just be a lot slower to bolt because it's getting colder. Um, So yeah, I'm thinking for more smaller growers, that's a potential.
0: I love that. And I challenge anyone to eat like 600 grams to a kilo of lettuce a week. <laughs> it takes some graft to do, I can tell you. I took a We had a, a, a chef didn't want this normal order, and I'd already picked a kilo bag of lettuce, and I took it home to my mum. She was like, what am I going to do with all this? Ended oh. up feeding the tortoise, I think. But um, sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> I love this next one. It comes from Sam... Devol, i think i'm pronouncing that right uh how the hell do i get broccoli to grow (laughs) great question
1: it is a great question i mean i I still uh struggle in terms of just it getting attacked everything wants to eat it um so it's great starts from seed germinates really well um the i don't think there's much difference in terms of like germinating it um it, it can germinate under like Cooler conditions into hot conditions, but yeah, just protect it. That's all I've got to say. And I'm a, I'm a nightmare for it because I've got a purple spray and broccoli bed, and I've got some there. I'm just trying to outbeat the slugs and the caterpillars uh, from attacking it, which they are. Um, and I've had to like replace quite a few. But if you can just put like a fleece over it, you're doing yourself a bit of justice. Um, and just keep, I think that's all you got to do is protect it because it will grow and it will, you you will get what you want from it. Um, it's just got to protect it. That's, it's so annoying. <laughs> I, I feel it. I feel your pain, Sam.
0: Yeah, it's the same here. I, and I'm imagining your purple sprout and broccoli bed because I've just walked past mine coming in to record this. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to sit there for a couple of hours over the weekend pulling caterpillars off of it. But i mean my my certainly one of the tips that i picked up this year is that netting decent netting is is a massive plus especially early on so when i'm growing stuff especially things like um, broccoli or other brassicas and things i'm getting decent enviromesh fleece or very small fleece uh, sorry netting on it early on so i'm getting that bang on early on and then as it gets older i'm moving to brassica netting because it's cheaper so it's just uh, sort of bigger holes but it stops those sort of white butterflies getting in there and the other yeah. big thing for me has been having hoops that i can adjust because these plants do get quite big if i'm using all the standard hoops that i'm using to keep that netting off the plants of other things then you're getting the plants are getting to the top of the netting and you're thinking oh there's nothing getting in on there but actually the butterflies are just sitting on the top and laying their eggs on the leaves anyway yeah Um, and the third thing was that just getting like more weights than you think to get the netting down on the sides and i actually found this this year that you can get sandbags that are a meter long they're like quite thin 15 20 centimeters wide but a meter long and getting loads of those on there because they're these <laughs> i hate to, to call them little buggers but they are the white butterflies will get in anywhere anywhere there's a gap yeah. so making sure that the sides of your netting are lined with weights so that they can't get in there it's it seems yeah. to be the only way to protect it
1: a little permaculture tip as well. There's there's a few crops that I recommend planting amongst brassicas. Um, like I always have pots of peppermint. Mm-hmm. Um, I think peppermint. I think it's peppermint that they don't like the smell of. So obviously you need quite a lot of it. But I've got about four pots per bed, and they're quite large peppermint plants. Um, Cornflower is a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently it tra- attracts the right good pests in. Um, dill another one that tracks the right pests in but it it kind of sometimes even like say you've got nasturtiums like the caterpillar is going to eat that quick like first they'll go to that over your um, brassica plants Um, but yeah so peppermint plants in pots not to plant because you'll just have peppermint everywhere Um, I've noticed as well self-seeded borage has kind of helped it I've noticed that I've really got not a lot of caterpillars on my kale this year because there's quite a lot of interplanted flowers whether they're self I've purposely sown them or they've blown in mm. um, but I've noticed that having the flowers there is just bring more bugs to kind of whether, whether there's any bugs to keep away the caterpillars I'm not sure but any smells that they don't like you're just doing yourself a bit of justice by having them around
0: yeah definitely I like that and especially yeah with the mint it definitely in pots because it spreads like mad look at the next
1: one any tips for experience involving young children in Grow Your Own
0: and how that might look, Cheryl, Taton Yeah, man. I mean, involving children from a very young age is, is important. I think, obviously, look, if they're really young, you're not going to be expecting them to have the, like, patience or maybe dexterity or something to be putting seeds in. But just getting them, like you often get um mud kitchens in preschools or forest schools or you get sand pits but even getting big pots of compost or soil and just getting them playing with it gets them involved really early um never referring to soil or compost as dirt is a really important one i think that word dirt is therefore dirty and then it gives negative sort of vibes around getting your hands in the soil or not wearing shoes on on nice grass and that sort of thing so certainly I mean recently we had um, uh, some three three-and-a-half-year-old twins come to the farm um, they came for a visit with my sister-in-law and we were we needed to pot up I mean it was a while back but pot up Cosmos Plants. So we had seeds and we put three seeds in each of the trays, uh, each of the cells, and they'd all germinated. So we wanted to split those up and pot them all up. We ended up with 300 Cosmos plants. Um, but yeah, they, they just wanted to be involved. And it started off with us sitting there showing them, right, this is put compost in the pot and then level it off and then they started doing that and after a while they were seeing what we were doing where we were putting our thumb in to make a hole to put the plug in they were copying and before before long I mean I mean we potted up all 300 of them without them getting too bored and they were helping by putting the plugs in and even one of them was able to separate them out gently separate their plugs wow. out which I mean they're, they're smart kids but yeah just having them involved just, um in the process it is just amazing and and i think there'll be huge benefits to that
1: yeah definitely i i think if you're growing a garden and, and want to get them involved i always think it's if you like bring any plants in or or if you get them to sow stuff stuff like beans super easy mm. for them to make a hole with their finger and the beans kind of like you can get some really pretty uh, bean varieties to like look at and just and it's so easy for them to not not mess that up like that like just to hold a bean put it in one bean grows pretty quick so they're going to see instant results um, and also I would do the microgreens because of instant results mm-hmm. so that kid's not going to get bored it's going to like you know where yeah. you just wait that advert where waiting for the fa- uh, fairy liquid bottle yeah. so you can make <laughs> a spaceship yeah. yeah. So it's like you, you want to see that germ, you're going to see germination after two or three days and the kid's going to get excited. I know I would mm. as a kid and he's like, oh, good, it's growing. It's growing. Seven days, you're going to eat that plant. Yeah. Uh, I always talk about this, don't I? On podcasts, I always go back to micros, but I think it's fascinating. Same with buying mushroom kits. Um, super easy, super quick. Just spray it. You're going to watch the mushroom grow and that's pretty fascinating mm. to watch grow um uh, but in your garden let's go back to that as well grow stuff that's a pretty to look at like a sunflower is you can measure how tall it's going to grow and if that t- sunflower is going to grow bigger than them mm-hmm. and nine yeah. times out of ten they yeah, they do they're really big i've got sunflowers like eight foot on my farm at the minute and it's like whoa look it's like james and the uh jack and a giant uh jack and a beanstalk yeah. I, should <laughs> know, I should know that shouldn't i yeah. <laughs> and um Yeah, so you're like, whoa, look, at it's like it's Jack and a Beanstalk kind of thing. Mm. And also stuff that smells good. So I had um, some friends bring their kids the other day. We picked a uh, a courgette that turned to a marrow and the marrow is nearly as big as the kid. That was really funny. Um, But then we was trying stuff, trying strawberry stuff that tastes really good that kids don't mind eating. Carrots. uh, We was uh, picking herbs and smelling them. So I've got chocolate, mint. On the pharmacy, like, oh, that what does that smell of? Oh, it smells of after 8 let uh, Let's go to this uh, spearmint. Oh, it smells of toothpaste. So, you're getting Amazing. familiar smells as well um, around the garden. So, I'd recommend that. Um, there, there's loads, and I'm pretty sure if you DM'd us, we'd be happy to give advice on things like that.
0: And also, just a shout out to any schools that are growing. I mean, if they if you're if you're the school or preschool your children's at isn't showing them parts of that, then do drop them a message or a letter and encourage them. My mum um, runs a preschool and they got in touch with their local garden center and the garden center gifted the preschool a load of like planters and compost and plants and even sent some staff down to plant them with the kids and and come back and talk about them so if your school or preschool or anything like that isn't showing children growing vegetables get in touch with them and get in touch with local garden centers as well because they'll be definitely up for for getting involved and, and doing that so a little bit of a let's get the movement there that every school should have a veg patch
1: yeah that's great Uh, couldn't agree with that more
0: johnny allotment says simply polytunnel or no polytunnel um
1: polytunnel if you've got (laughs) space for it polytunnel um mainly the fact that that season extension um you can grow crops all year round in a polytunnel um tomatoes are going to be better bigger Uh, stuff like yeah your peppers chilies aubergine cucumbers they're all going to be coming out your ears but it's like a good problem to have um but yeah i just, I just see the i really see the value in them uh, i rather than and also it's a vocal point of the garden it's somewhere you want to go to it's somewhere that you've got those slightly more exotic mediterranean plants feel like you spend a lot of time in your polytunnel as well when it's on the farm uh, so yeah, a polytunnel,
0: Johnny. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, look, they're not the prettiest things in the world. They are big bits of plastic, but they are not single use by any means. They should last year. Well, it depends on the conditions, but uh, I mean, I depreciate ours over 10 years, so it should last you a fair bit of time. Um, and there's a lot of things you can do with them. I mean, we're surrounding ours in willows now, um, mainly for wind protection, but it can quickly, very quickly make them look a lot less invasive um and growing things between them so yeah i'm I'm pro polytunnel too uh i think the next one's probably more for you jack um and um again apologies for how i pronounce this name but pet whalen i think it might be but uh do you grow the microgreens and mushrooms together in one room
1: oh great question i didn't see that one um yes i do uh, mainly because um the exchange of carbon and oxygen. Uh, The plants give in oxygen, Uh, the mushrooms breathe like us, so uh, they're giving carbon as they incubate. Um, So yeah, there's growing in one room. I've got a grow tint in there, so they're flushing from being incubated to flushing and it's working out. I mean, there's probably better ways of doing it, but for my scale currently, it's working. And I really like that balance. There's the oxygen carbon exchange. I find that really, really cool. Um, that they're working together even though they're two separate like entities like pl- like a mushroom is in between an animal and a plant and obviously microgreens are a plant but you're getting a lot of food out of one space let's say that microgreens are seven day turnaround seven to ten day turnaround sometimes two weeks for certain crops and then i was figuring out the other day like how great mushrooms are as a turnaround from grain spawn like making the substrate yourself to an end product is like quick as quick as a radish. And it's like a better, in my eyes, it's a better product in terms of food. So it's like a protein source, an iron source. Um, it's you can substitute it for meat. So I really rate growing them together and just growing them as a general product. I think they're great.
0: And just um to roll back the mushrooms, you have them in a tent for some of it as well. They're within that room, right? so it's dark
1: yeah with it yeah um yeah so uh it's dark you just can cover it with um like whatever really uh just to block out the light from the micro green lights Mm -hmm. but then when they go in the tent you just got to recreate autumn temperatures so there's a humidifier pumping out warm misty air and there's like a led strip light that goes around like a cheap one from ebay it's like a blue bluey hue light and it's just to create like a autumn morning Mm. Um, so it's like dull a dull light and they seem to love it I mean I'm pulling out kilos a week from a tent that's six foot tall four foot wide and one foot deep um, like a cupboard that's how I can describe the size of it Um, unbelievable honestly I supply like loads of chefs veg boxes market with just that size so you don't need uh too much extremities to to grow a lot of food
0: Man, you you converted me in the week we were just talking on whatsapp weren't we and you converted me to, i've never grown mushrooms before but i'm definitely buying a few kits and starting playing with it i'm excited really excited
1: definitely the most exciting thing to from personal to to watch grow it's like uh yeah you've got a tomato and things like that and we love them coming through but for me it's the that it looks like a a bit of coral mm. and it's just beautiful it's pure poetry in motion it's just so cool to watch grow uh it's just something about it that's just so different to growing veg that i love
0: yeah and again from a small space comes a lot of yeah. food which is awesome uh
1: so starting out a market garden is difficult enough however how did you find your clients slash customers gasco Green farm great question um, I'll throw
0: that to you, Chris. First, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, look, I've got a secret string to my bow. Before this, I worked in marketing for years, um, and I have followed none of my own advice when <laughs> <laughs> starting up Vanfill Farm and finding our customers and clients. Apart from that, we told the story of doing this from the beginning, and it bought people in. It br- sorry brought people in. Um, we told the story of like the freezing cold temperatures of us digging a track to get our home on the farm we told the story of how we we're building our no-dig beds and we were like having to cart the compost 200 meters in a wheelbarrow to create them we told the story of when the shed got blown away 24 hours after we f- finished building it all those things and they sound like quite mundane things but just involving an audience um and it was mainly via our instagram or social media just involving an audience in your journey to growing this in this way, especially a market garden that bases around sort of permaculture principles or no dig or regenerative agriculture. People will come on board and that's certainly how we found our customers, especially our box customers. Um, And then clients in terms of like chefs and um, if you want to, I certainly would recommend listening to the Mitch Grows episode from last week. If you want to get involved in chefs, there's some great tips in there. And, and again, through like markets are approaching us now saying, look, can you come and do a stall? It's, it's just been telling our story throughout the whole time. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful things in marketing these days you can do.
1: 100% it's all about the story. People buy into you from that. Mm. Uh, you're not just... Um, like a brand then you're you're humanizing your business uh, and people relate to that as well so if you set up a website definitely write your story on there um i encourage people to use social media to use your business so like introduce yourself on there um document what you've done um but yeah so we with chefs i I just kind of either dm them or i just kind of get to know them through other uh, other ways like through markets and and whatever but uh, i feel before i went traveling years and years ago i was dead shy and i couldn't say boo to a goose so obviously now you can't get me to stop talking (laughs) but uh, i feel like having that approach of just being going in being confident and, and sharing that story is like a big thing and you sell yourself um some people if you're not as confident you can go down like the dm route or but but and also there's nothing better than bringing that product to that person um I'm trying to think of other ways like when i've had the allotment i used to have like a bike and I used to collect compost on it and people used to be like who the hell is that guy because i'd like one of those dutch cargo bikes with a box on the front and i'm peddling around town with loads of compost and and it just you you're kind of creating an idea of what you're doing um i'd say yeah just kind of don't give a fuck and and do you do you because what you're doing is awesome and and no matter what and what i love um, how i got started into instagram and stuff was through gary uh, gary v and it was like uh, no matter what at some point your industry is going to be cool like he says even if it's talking about smurfs on a podcast at some point there's going to be a niche where you're going to fill it and and same with growing when i first got into this it wasn't I didn't think the whole general growing thing was cool, and now I think loads of young people getting into it, and, and people are finding it really cool. Where even if I tell people if I'm out in the pub with my mates and like, what do you do? And I've like, I've got an organic farm. Instantly, I feel that person is interested. They're just like, oh, tell me more. Instead of being like oh, I'm arm an electrician, and the conversation just kind of dies. Um, there's something about it. People are like more environmentally. Into this, a part of our life now, climate change, all this sort of stuff, and you're doing. Being a part of the change in the world, and sorry, I am rambling on. No, it's great. I just get very, I do get passionate about it. But what we're doing is, is kind of like good work, and just do it, my friend. I know, I know who this guy is. It's Tim, and he's, um, he's a good guy, and he's just started a nice little farm. But I know Tim, and I know his girlfriend, and they're very, like, they can sell what they're doing easy.
0: Yeah, I think Mitch said last week, didn't he? Great, great veg. Sort of sells itself. You just have to put it out there. Um, I couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more, really. Especially, And then I think the other thing as well that I... I mean, I haven't really practiced this, but it was one of the first things we did was get involved in markets early. If you're really struggling, markets are like really good markets are where chefs are going to find decent produce. They're a good way to just get in front of people because someone else is building that audience for you, so to speak. Like they're bringing the people in, so you just have to be there to chat. Um And when, when I first did a market, it was one in... It was like a... I can't remember who ran it, but it was like in a village hall and there was like one other grower that was off an allotment who just had like four bags of runner beans and then someone who made jams in their kitchen and someone who did needle point and did cross stitch. So it's a really not really a farmer's market. It was a great place and the people were lovely. But I took along like a little iPad of a film I've made of us doing like basically that story again, showing us pushing the wheelbarrows to our like two allotments and how we created stuff and just doing stuff like that was again, building the brand, but with the people alongside it and it, well, and here we are, so yeah loads of good stuff in there I've uh, left the <laughs> I mean I, I think I've left this one till last because I didn't really want to talk about it because it's been your last couple of weeks certainly my last two weeks as well but what do you do when blight destroys all your potatoes and tomatoes crying face emoji and that's from a brilliant Instagram account actually permanic pol- underscore permaculture um, but yeah it's, it's not been great, blight has destroyed a lot of things this year but You've had some pretty good success and it seems to be converting over. Certainly Danny from Lawson's Market Garden has taken your tips. I've taken your tips as well for sort of saving your tomatoes.
1: Yeah, it was something, uh, honestly, that gave me a lot of stress and I I nearly had a panic attack when I instantly saw it. Like uh, I was kind of having a bit of a, it was going for a really hard point in the season and my box scheme wasn't really going well because just didn't have the abundance there. And it kind of come at a point was like, no, nah, just can't. I can't be losing the tomatoes as well. It was like one. Yeah. Of, it was like the final straw kind of thing. And uh, and I saw it, and I just ran out of the ponytail. Like like, <laughs> just having a panic. But with what I love about permaculture for, is a solutions based approach for our problems. And for every problem we have, there is a solution. So although um, tomato blight is like complete death of tomatoes it's like a one-way street you, you're going to lose them there's no real recovery in it but there's prevention methods that if you find it early you can stop it and slow well not exactly stop it but you slow it down to the point where you're going to rescue most of the tomatoes that are on there and it kind of, i was kind of shocked how well it worked so all that was was filling up a um, water spray bottle Um, and add in one tablespoon of vegetable oil which is your wetting agent so it sticks to the plant and then one tablespoon of baking powder which is like a very alkaline um, and that's going to try and uh, uh, balance out the uh, infection. So spraying the leaves, um, spraying the stem and if you have damaged leaves just chop them off but if it's on the stem it kind of caps it, it stops it from spreading which if those pores are put spores are on the stem and they're just ready to drop whenever the wet hits it to, to chuck it onto the next plant and the next plant, it's like wildfire. So, if you just cap it off, spray the whole plant, uh, even spray the soil apparently as well. Uh, but I couldn't believe that now I'm still picking tomatoes and this I got blight in June or June, June, July, July. I, got it, I feel like I got it one of the first ever. Um, out of any Instagram account I've seen and um, yeah I'm still picking them so it didn't get the whole tunnel these plants where I've sprayed and it's not really reached them so it works so if you find it early I feel like a lot of us are bulletproofed now for next year
0: definitely definitely and I've taken those tips and things I mean I'm confident that I'll keep picking them I mean I found it last week I had very similar feelings to, to to what you explained, and I mean I just went to town on pruning. That was the first thing I did. Just pruned like mad, um, weeded all around them. And and look, just to end on a positive. I think that we will be able to save it with that solution. Keep them going for a bit longer. Keep picking them. And also the polytunnel looks great now, <laughs> like nicely pruned plants. Like I've pruned up to at least like the second run of fruit removed all oh, the effective nice. leaves so now there's just these very neat way neater than they did before pruned plants with tomatoes cascading down and it's all weeded around the bottom so um yeah if anything it looks neater at least <laughs> even if yeah, i know they're uh, on a downward spiral
1: i already can't wait for next year because hmm. i just want to have a full polytunnel of tomato i didn't i didn't justify it this year It's a real, real real shame there's some varieties i never even got to taste um just gutted but It's all learning, that's what growing is about. We've got years ahead of us and good years and bad years. We'll never complete it, but we're on the right road and I feel that we're young enough, still good looking enough to carry (laughs) on. (laughs) No, but we're still on the... It's nice that we're in this scene early, like all of us listening, we've all maybe grown for years, maybe just got into it, but Um, There's lots of lessons to be learned and we're trying to do our best to give you as much info to bulletproof yourself going into the next season.
0: Yeah, prevent you from the same heartache we've had, eh? Or at least try.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah that's that's it.
0: That wraps up the questions for today. Um, thank you everyone who submitted one. Sorry if there was one that we didn't get to, um, but we will pick it up on a future episode of this. Um, I think what we're going to do in the future is that look, we want to do more of these episodes um, but they are going to become part of our Patreon support pages so if you uh, don't mind head over to patreon.com forward slash foodgroweracademy or ask us anything are going to be on there in the future so this is a little taster of what's to come and we're going to be putting a lot more content on there for people that help us keep this podcast going. Um, There are costs associated with running a podcast like this we're loving just being able to to chat to growers um each week and get that content out to you and i know that there's been a really good response to it so if you can help us keep it going it's patreon.com forward slash food grower academy thanks for this mate i've enjoyed chatting again
1: yeah definitely it's been really good answering questions but gives a different dynamic to the podcast and i hope that everyone listening is le- like learning if you've got your question answered great um, and then you can definitely learn from other people's questions as well so i think it's been really a good episode
0: yeah i loved it mate if you want to get questions for a future episode instagram's the best place food grower academy on there i'll chat to you on the next one mate yep see you soon bye bye